When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and I'm glad you're back with us again this week. Got another great one for you today. Have a, have another guest, and I think you're really going to enjoy what she has to say to us today. But before we get into that, I thought I'd just bring you up to date on a few things going on around here. Uh, been working in the greenhouse quite a bit lately. Got a few leafy greens going in there, and, and that's working out real well. Even though the temperatures have been really cold we've had some uh, you know around zero temperatures recently and i do have an electric heater in there but it doesn't keep it very warm so they've been going kind of slow uh, i've noticed because of the temperature i also have my uh, rabbits and quail in that greenhouse which i think helps out with the heat a little bit uh generating a little bit of heat in the greenhouse and i know they like it a lot better because <laughs> their water dishes and bottles aren't freezing up quite as bad and I also I also like it too because I don't have to go out there and thaw water dishes quite as often, so that's kind of nice. Been doing a lot of the other wintertime homesteading activities, you know, working in the kitchen, making sauerkraut, making homemade bread, doing all those things you you do in the wintertime a little bit more than you do in the summer, and uh, you know that's good. It's it's relaxing and it's good. It's still good for your health and it still hones those homesteading skills. And uh, it's just a good time, you know, so uh, I hope you're taking advantage of the winter months where you are, and maybe you live somewhere where you're not really experiencing the winter months like we do here, and that's that's great too, you can do other things, but there's some parts of winter I just hate, I really love having time spent in the garden out, outside, and you know, I love being outdoors and doing things, and and you don't get to do those things, but you know, there's still so much we can do in the winter time. And uh, also, if you if you want to see a little bit more of what I'm doing around here. I'm, I'm going to be doing probably weekly videos on um, just some things I'm doing around here on my YouTube channel. And I just did one yesterday, uh, just spending a little time on a Saturday working around the, the homestead. So if you want to, go check that out. Uh, I spent a little time in the greenhouse, a little time in the kitchen, a little time uh, doing a podcast interview. Uh, so, I mean, just, just doing the things I do on a Saturday generally. If you're interested in that at all, go subscribe and check out uh, my YouTube channel. You can find the link to that. At the top of our website, smalltownhomestead.com. Plus, you know, we've been doing the, uh, uh, we doing some training videos. I won't call them weekly training videos because I may not do one every week. Didn't do one this weekend, but I've done a couple so far. And uh, I'll be talking more about that at the end of today's podcast episode. So stay stay tuned and listen to what I got to say about that uh, at the end. Okay, now that we got all that out of the way, let's just uh, let's get on to our interview with uh, Lana Jackson. And uh, here you can hear more about her in just a second. 
I'm joined today by Alana Jackson, a homesteader from Iowa, and in her own words, she's a city girl trying to figure out the country life. Um, Lana is also an active member of our Homestead Front Porch Facebook group, who always has some helpful advice for folks uh, in there. Um, with that, Lana, uh, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm hoping that I have something useful to say. We'll see. Oh, I'm I'm ready to hear all about your journey uh, of how a city girl ends up a homesteader. So, uh, can you just well, take a? Well, you know that's a go that's ahead. a good question. Yeah, yeah. Take a few minutes and tell us your story. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Well, I grew up in the Kansas City area uh, in Independence, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I'm the daughter of an American history teacher, and my mom was a librarian. So I I think that a lot of it, for me, started off with uh, being surrounded by that homesteading, pioneering, uh, American history kind of environment. Because mm-hmm. uh, Independence was the place where the wagon trains made their last stop before they really diverged into the California, the Santa Fe, and the Oregon trails. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you were surrounded by that homesteading idea especially if your father was a history teacher yeah so and my parents both grew up in the ozarks and i remembered seeing um my cousins growing up on the farm and always kind of envying what they did and all the experiences that they got with animals and and out and and the farm life and i just didn't think that i was ever going to be able to to learn it. Uh, I actually studied art at the Kansas City Art Institute, and uh, at our high school, we had a lot of talented art teachers, and I was getting ready to go into art education when I met my husband, and we both kind of had the same dream of moving to the country eventually, but it just seemed like a dream for a long time, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until we were after our 40s that we decided to dive in and buy the farm, which has been an adventure. (laughs) You know, but after 40, it gets interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you you come with more wisdom, but then, (laughs) you know, it has its other struggles, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. You know, your brain may think that you're 20, but your body has a few arguments (laughs) with that. I understand. I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what kind of things are you doing on your homestead? I mean, tell us a little bit about your homestead and what what you got going on Well, what we've got is about 13 acres. We're in south-central Iowa. Uh, There's The nearest town to us is called Winterset, Iowa. It's the birthplace of John Wayne. You know, that's a big hoo-ha around here. (laughs) And um, we... We just kind of fell in love with the general area. It looks a lot like the Ozarks. And there's a lot of homesteading interest in the area. Mm -hmm. A lot of young people are moving to the area to start small homesteads, self-reliant living. And we came down here for our 25th wedding anniversary and bought the farm. Oh, wow. So, yeah. But we decided that we really enjoy it. We've got goats. We've got two girl goats that are expecting baby goats, which is going to be our newest and greatest adventure this spring. Yeah. And we've got ducks and chickens and rabbits and two dogs. Okay. And a barn cat. 
Yeah. <laughs> they all count. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave out the barn cat. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, yeah. You got quite a bit going on there been, already. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been an, a long adventure. We've been here about five years now. And there's so many little things that we just didn't realize when we moved to the country from the city environment. Uh, I know one thing that we went through, we we started looking for farm, oh, probably about three years before we moved here. Mm-hmm. And we went through the process like what we were used to in an urban environment. You know, you go to the bank and you fill out your paperwork and you get pre-approved, you know, if, if you're obsessed with making sure you've got all your decks in a row like we are, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind yeah. of. So we went and got that done. Well, we found the farm, and then we realized that our bank up in the city didn't have a clue how to appraise a rural property, hmm. which which was something that we never considered, especially living here in Iowa. Right. Yeah. You know, you've got so much rural everywhere. Uh, there are a huge... Well, Des Moines is is over a million people, I'm Mm -hmm. sure, but it's still just a very rural area. So we never anticipated that that would be a problem. And it's something that I think somebody that's wanting to walk away and get into a homestead from a city environment might be advised to consider. We ended up wanting the place that we purchased. But because the bank didn't know what to do with our mortgage and how to value the property and the outbuildings and how to handle insurance and and all those things, we had to scramble to find a new lender. Hmm. But one of the perks to that was we got tied up with a local bank uh, that was in our area. They were very familiar with the real estate agents and the property even, we like to laugh about the fact that everybody rented our house at one time or another. Because <laughs> every time we go to town and say that, oh, we live here, they say, oh, yeah, I, I rented that a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's familiar that's, with your place then, huh? That's right. It's easy to give directions. It's, it's just <laughs> that place. But we were lucky that the bank that we worked with, because it's a small-town bank, was able to go through the process within two weeks. Mm. You know, but that was a headache. That's rare, for sure, for any place. It is, but we were pleased with the fact that the small community attitude is different Mm -hmm. than the larger urban environment. But it, it did make it a hassle. Uh, something that we never ever considered being a problem. Mm-hmm. That we've we've had quite a few of those, you know, unmarked roads that we didn't realize weren't gravel. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're what you have in your area, but around here they're called B grade roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and or unmaintained roads. Well, we went out to I went out to buy a rabbit for our breeding stock. And we didn't realize that there were such things because we'd always lived in cities. Mm-hmm. And this road wasn't marked. And we got the typical farm directions to this place where we were buying the rabbit. 
uh, saying, well, it might be a bit muddy. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I don't have four-wheel drive, so is it going to be okay for me to go down it? Well, yeah, just, just take it kind of slow. Well, it wasn't marked as an unmaintained road, so I'm driving my vehicle down there, and I get across the bridge, and I've been kind of slipping and sliding, but I get just across the bridge, and I drop down to the mud in my axles. Oh, wow. Up to my axles. Uh, we lost a vehicle on that one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They brought a tractor out to help push me out of the mud, but it was such a strain on the transmission yeah. That it ended up totaling the car. <laughs> and these are these are ca- I, county roads, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we found out afterwards what that meant and to be a bit wary when somebody says it's kind of muddy. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you ever get the rabbit? I'm curious. <laughs> uh no. No, I decided that totaling the car was enough of an adventure. Yeah, yeah, forget the rabbit. you got bigger problems now, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's country life, though, for sure. I mean, there's all kinds it of is. things that you just don't expect or understand about it if you don't live in those no, kind of areas. No, And I've, I've been involved with a group around here called Practical Farmers of Iowa, which I could highly recommend for anybody. They have a podcast. Well, I don't know if they'd necessarily call them podcasts or webinars, mm-hmm. but you can go and get good information. They'll have discussions from local farmers mm-hmm. talking about issues with crops and uh, plants, animals, you know, various questions that you might have. Mm-hmm. And they've got good, reliable information, which is another adventure of trying to find good, reliable information right that was that was one of the reasons why i wanted to talk really mm-hmm. uh, trying to help people learn from some of these stuck on stupid moments that we've had <laughs> well, we we all do learn best from from uh from mistakes and, and it's even better if you can learn <laughs> from other people's mistakes right <laughs> yes yeah. a little bit less expensive yeah that's right that's right yeah yeah so you got rabbits. How many rabbits are you are you uh, raising right now? Well, that's always a flexible moment. Yeah. We've, we've cut back, and we have three does for our breeding stock at the moment mm-hmm. and two bucks. And we've got a couple that I call left and right <laughs> that are matching pelts, mm-hmm. and they're going to become mittens eventually. Yeah. But, you know. We kind of bred them, and when they were born, we noticed that they had similar pelt colors, so we raised them longer for that purpose. Yeah. We were waiting until the winter weather sets in to harvest pelts. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. all you we, need is those, those five you have, and you can end up with a lot of meat yeah. from that. <laughs> well, we're empty nesters, so we don't need as much. We've, we've had more in the past, and... Uh, we raise our rabbits on a combination of out on pasture in yeah. rabbit tractors. Yeah. And then in the winter, because Iowa winters, you get snow and, and ice. And, in fact, we're getting ready for ice again tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to arrive, and we're expecting like a half inch of ice. Yeah, we're getting it right now here in Indiana. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. 
it spread. But because of the inclement weather and not wanting to deal with trying to keep the rabbits on the ground, they don't have any grazing anyhow. So we put them in the barn in hutches in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And that's our prime time for breeding and harvesting the feces for our garden. Yeah. And then uh, we take them back out on pasture and let them spread their manure all by themselves. Yeah, yeah. And now is that all you're doing with the the, the pasture that you have, or are you raising some other animals out there? I mean, you said you have some goats, well, uh, but not very yes, many. Yes, we have a couple of goats, and that's one of the um, adventures that I'm probably a bit more nervous about. Uh, my husband has full-time job, and I call him my sugar daddy, and he gets me my insurance <laughs> and, and money to pound down a raffle at the farm. <laughs> and I do part-time work, which helps me get communication in the community mm-hmm. and the connection with people there and getting to know people better. But um, for the most part, <laughs> it's not necessarily a money-making venture. Right, yeah. You know, and so we're trying to, I'm working with people up in our community, up in Winterset, and I've made connections for mentors to help me raise the goats and and learn what I need to learn about the goats. Mm -hmm. Now, I read a lot, and I do know how to research and uh, try to gather as much information as I can, but when you've got boots on the ground... It isn't always what they say in the book. Right, yeah. Uh, One of the things that I had to laugh about when we got the chickens was you read through all the books, and they tell you about all these possible diseases and and all the things that might could go wrong and, and everything else. And my experience, at least, has been nine times out of ten, you're not going to run into most of those diseases. Mm-hmm. What you're going to end up with is chickens taking a dust bath, which looks like they're having a seizure out there. <laughs> um, roosters breeding with your hands and making them bald up on top. And the pecking order problems that yeah. tend to tear up their combs and their crops and their wattles and, <clears throat> you know, yeah, that sort of thing. But the other stuff, just lends to your hysteria of what's going to go wrong, which it most of the time doesn't. Right, right. But, you know, experience is, you know, the best teacher. I mean, uh, how many things, I don't know how many times, uh, you know, I just jumped into something because you read so much and you do as much research as you can, and then it just comes down to you just have to jump into it and, and learn it and uh, just do it, you know. I, I've had to do that oh. on many of the things I've done. And, and you find out oh, exactly. it near as bad usually once you get started. Sometimes things happen. You go, wow, that was that was a disaster. But, you know, most of the time things work out pretty good, and you learn a lot in the process. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we We found out how heat transfers with, our metal buildings when we first got our rabbits because we won't we had a pole barn out here mm-hmm. that had an open side and we thought well we're going to put them back about four or five feet from the opening and we're going to build their hatches about a foot and a half out from the wall so they should be good you know mm-hmm. it'll it'll be comfortable for them well that one wall that we put them up against was a south facing wall oh yeah they don't and like heat. <laughs> even 
No, yeah. It, it, we lost one of our first breeding bucks because he had a heat stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was up at fairly close to that wall, you know. And for whatever reasons, they seem to go to the worst possible place to lay down or whatever. So if it's the hot spot, they're going to go to that one hot spot and sit there. At least that's been my, you know, if they can find a way to kill themselves, they will. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we found out it was, a, I think, in 70s, 80s summerish day here oh, wow. but it was just too hot for him for the heat transfer from that wall yeah so we ended up learning that that wasn't a good location for our rabbit hutches you know but we thought it would be ideal because there would be air circulation and uh-huh. there would be heat in the winter and it we was, didn't might have been ideal the heat yeah. in the summer might have been ideal for winter, but yeah, summer. I, yeah. I find I find like my rabbits, they do. I mean, they love the cold weather, but the heat, yeah, they they need some shade, they need some air blowing across yeah. them. They they don't do well in the heat at all. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we found with our rabbits, we like the mountain pasture, and we found that it keeps them in much better condition. Mm-hmm. They're much happier. We don't have to do as much maintenance. Uh, the only problem is we've got to move those tractors every day, yeah, sometimes yeah. twice a day, depending on what the pasture looks like. Right. But we tried at first to put, the, like Joel Salatin had mentioned, putting a two-inch grid mm-hmm. on the base of them so that they can't dig out. Right. Well, our rabbits weren't eating hmm. when we did that. They didn't like... I don't know the way pull the grass, the grass was up pushed through it. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's to me that's kind of an example of one of the things that you learn as you do this. You may read five different points of view or talk to different people, mentors, farmers, and get five different opinions, but it's going to entirely depend on what works for you. Mm-hmm. We've learned to put up with what we call our rabbit divots out there on the pasture and and filling them back in. And we've learned to also kind of anticipate when they're going to appear. It's typically when the mother is about to give birth Mm. or they're uh, tired of eating that particular patch of grass. They don't like what's there. Or it's an excessively hot day when it gets over like 100. They want Mm -hmm. to dig into the dirt more. Yeah. And then if we leave them out there too late in the fall, they graze off what they want to eat first, and then they go digging up for roots and Mm -hmm. and things like that. So we've kind of learned how to anticipate what's going to be the hot zones and and move more frequently according to that. Yeah. But that's how we cope with it. Now, are you raising these rabbits just for meat and and fur for, for you, or are you trying to sell some, or...? No, we we really haven't done too much as far as selling. Uh, we do trade them, uh-huh. which we found that those can be quite a nice commodity. In fact, one of the things that I recently trade for, just, just an example of how me working a part-time job up in the community helped us out. I work in a welding shop here in this area, and I do cleaning for them. Well, I've made friendships with some of the welders and things there. Well, we were cleaning up our fence line, and we found some old T-posts that were rotten. They they were twisted up and weren't any good to use fence posts anymore. 
so we pulled them out of the ground, and I took them up to the welding shop, and I had them make me a couple of wall racks that I could use to hang my cast iron skillets from. And to pay for that, I traded one of our rabbits and a processed duck to the welder that did the work for me. So he was happy with that, and I was happy with the job that he did, because I don't know how to weld. So it worked out great for everybody. That's the best kind of deals to make right there. Yeah, yeah. Our uh, goats were a nine-rabbit trade. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seems about right. Seems, you know, weight-wise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but our, our goat girls are four goats, and uh, one of them is partly lame. She got caught in the fence, they think. Uh, the previous owners don't really know what happened. She'd gotten herself worked loose by the time they got home. And she's kind of got one of her legs twisted, and she walks like a little question mark and she kind of runs sideways she's a funny little gal but uh, both of them are expecting babies and we're hoping for the best with that you know Mm -hmm. to me i find it a little bit scarier facing working with a larger animal like that and the birthing process yeah it's it's not something i'm familiar with but we do have neighbors in the area that have had horses that have had babies and cows that have calved and i've got two or three mentors in the area that are familiar with goats and goat breeding and Mm -hmm. so i'm hoping that when it comes to that time all my research and everything's going to go just fine and if i have an emergency i'll have somebody to call yeah if everything goes good they'll they'll do it without any help at all they'll take care of it themselves (laughs) exactly and that's most of the time what happens but you never know yeah, yeah. Now, are you? Uh, what's your uh, end game with the uh, the goats? Is it uh, meat or milk or? Well, we're going to see how it goes because right now what we need is grazers. Mm-hmm. Our our pasture, most of it, we're not using at the moment. We let somebody else run their horses on there to help keep the mowing under control, and she doesn't have enough space to run her horses, so it kind of works out good. She comes over and helps me repair fences and, and do work on the farm in exchange for bringing her horses over here to eat our grass. And that's worked out exceptionally well for us. Mm-hmm. But the pasture was probably neglected for a good 20 years, and it was heavily grazed by cattle. And it's got heavy rolling hills and lots of little drainage ditches and things like that. And so it's something that we really need the goats to go in there and graze and eat the weeds and help clean up all the scrub. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that we can get a good set of grazers out of these girls this time around. And then we'll see what we think after we've had one year with the babies and everything. Yeah, well, they should do a good job of that, you would think. Well, that's kind of one of the things that we've learned is to be a little bit more patient. When we first got here, we, we dove right in with getting some chicks and getting a few rabbits, and all of the ducks were so cute. Well, you got to bring home a few ducks. <laughs> and where are you going to put them? And, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this will work, and you find out it doesn't sometimes. But what we're doing with the goats is we're trying to see we got the two girls 
in our trade for the rabbits. And we had them for a year and decided, yeah, we like goats. Then we brought over a buck for a conjugal visit. And he was a borrowed buck from a guy in the area that had bred these girls before. Mm-hmm. So he was familiar with the goats. And so now we're going to see how the birthing process goes and see what we think of that. Yeah. And the gentleman that had the buck goat is has some unrelated buck that we might be able to purchase from him mm-hmm. if we decide that we want to breed in the future. Yeah, the offspring, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, another part of this adventure that's probably diving in a bit too deep is I have never milked anything before. You, so you my be. mentors are going to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mentors are, have promised to teach me how to milk the goat. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that works. Yeah, I know that I will need to strip out some of the milk just to help with their health, mm-hmm. the goat's health, but I'm not sure that I want to commit to milking all the time. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty valuable resource if you use it in certain ways. Yeah. I mean, so much you can do with oh, it. Oh, I love goat milk, but mm-hmm. it's a matter of trying to balance everything, as, as I'm sure you're aware. There's so much to do on oh, the farm yeah. every day. Yeah. And with my husband working full-time and me working part-time, it kind of leaves you know, the time even more constrained. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's something to think about. Yeah. So many people, I, I think, when they think about the homesteading, they, they in their mind, they picture that they have to do all these certain things, you know. And, and the truth is that, you know, you don't have to do only what you're comfortable doing or what you want to do. And, and you can just do as much as you want to do and then not do the other things. And, and so many people take on way too much and run themselves way yeah. too thin. So it's a good yeah. good thinking on that. I mean, you can definitely overdo it and, and burn yourself out for sure. Oh, yeah, and, and I probably do overdo it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved down here because my health wasn't as good as it should be because I have fibromyalgia and arthritis. Mm-hmm. And so it leaves me tired and achy frequently. But I was really tired as being told I can't do things. Right. And this had been a dream of ours for so long. I really started to work on my nutrition and trying to improve my health overall. And the farm has made that commitment for me because you can't just decide that you're not going to feed the animals today. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't work that way. You can't decide that ah, they don't need water where they don't need to have their pens cleaned or, or whatever it is. You have to make yourself get up. I've told friends it's the best farm gym membership that you can ever get. <laughs> you know, yeah. you have to go out there and do that work. They're relying on you. Yeah. And I think that has been a lifesaver for me. And not too long after, about two years after we moved down here, my husband had a stroke, and he's talked about the fact that having the farm has made his recovery much more remarkable. Yeah. You know, doctors have commented on the fact of how well he's cooked and recovered. And I think for both of us, it's been of great health benefit, not only just from the 
diet improvement, but exercise sure, and yeah. being outside, and it's much less stressful for us. Yeah, so many people don't, I mean, I don't even think about that that much, but you're right. I mean, it's not just a healthy food, but the activity that's involved is, yeah, you definitely get the exercise and, and it is a, it's a less stressful kind of exercise too. I mean, you might have a, you know, a job somewhere that, that's hard work and gives you a lot of exercise, but if it's a stressful kind of exercise, you know, you're worrying about things. Where country life, I mean, it is a little, it is a little more relaxing. You got these chores to do and you, you just you go and you do them and you enjoy it. I mean, if you enjoy it, I I love spending time around the animals and in my garden and mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And it's just an enjoyable life. Yeah, it does take a lot of stress off. It is, and it's hard it work is. also. Oh yeah, it is. But it's something that I really really love doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't under I I can't understand why I waited so long. <laughs> this just made my whole life it really has been quite an adventure yeah and there's always something new to learn and the animals are better than any television you know <laughs> yep. <laughs> i've got my chickens that follow me around like dogs you know <laughs> i have to fight them to keep them out of the food and and the goats following me around now that they're expecting babies they won't pet it all the time <laughs> so you know they they keep you going yeah. Keep you happy. Yeah. Well, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to skip over the chickens. How are you raising those? Are you, are you raising them on pasture also, or are they just free ranging around? Or how you... they're free ranging. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Now we've got our chicken coop slash run that we set up, and I really I'll have to see if I can send you a photograph of of what we've got. We've been really happy with it. We built based on a four foot by eight foot panel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you buy plywood and oriented strand board is what we used on the outside of, of ours just because it was cheaper. And building things is never easy or cheap on right. the farm. Yeah. And what we had is, since we had several outbuildings, we built ours very close to the outbuildings to make it more convenient for us. Well, the coop itself is about four foot by, well, five foot by eight foot uh, at the peak, and it slants out away from the building. And we've made it so that it's about four feet wide, and the four-foot end totally opens up. So we can actually step up into the coop and walk in Hmm. and sweep it out and pull everything out. We also made the nesting boxes so that they lift up and out because they're right next to the big door that mm-hmm. we have. Yeah. And it's built about two feet off the ground, because we do have quite a few predators around here, you know, little annoying predators. And we've got what's called a guillotine door, you know, it yeah. just raises and lowers on a rope. And the nice thing about all that is we put those, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with these metal brackets that you can use on two-by-four framing where you just slide the two-by-fours down into those metal brackets mm-hmm. yep. so that you shaped. Yep. We use those for our perches and for the nesting box mounting. So everything can be lifted up and out okay. and gotten out of our way so it can be scraped off and and treated for mites and things yeah, like that. That's like a great design. It, it really worked out well. And we added gutters this year, which is so nice. Yeah. Because I don't have rainwater running down my back when I'm trying to collect <laughs> eggs. But 
we've also got a water catchment system now for the ducks too. Mm. So it collects water and and helps us with that also. Yeah. It's all about design, isn't it? It makes the job a lot easier. Yeah. And one of the things that we've learned about since we have the coop attached to a run, and our run's about 12 feet long, uh, is we can keep the birds in when we need to. Mm -hmm. We've had a few times when there are predators around. We've had foxes and cubs and uh, eagles and hawks. And when their predator issues higher, we keep the girls in the run so that we don't have to worry about them getting picked off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They've got a roof over them, and they've got plenty of space to run around and get their food and water. And it also works out great if we've got to be out of town mm-hmm. or we're going to be gone overnight. We can just have a neighbor come over after dark and drop the door, and the girls are in, and, and they don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, yeah. It's important, and so many people don't. Everybody's always excited about free ranging, you know, their their chickens. But um, a lot of them stop doing that after a while if that's all they do. If they don't have a place where they can, you know, shut them in or whatever, and, yeah. and secure them, because so many times people lose a lot of a lot of birds to predators. They just don't think about that. Everybody just likes the glamour of it, you know. Their chickens running around eating bugs and living a happy life. But uh-huh. and there's something to protecting them too. You gotta you gotta have a place yeah. for them to go. The biggest predation problem that we've had is wandering dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a whole lot that you can do about that. Right. But, you know, if you know, it, I watch for dog tracks or, you know, we've got our own dogs that sound off if somebody's around that aren't supposed to be here. But our dogs also think that chickens are great play toys, and <laughs> I've got to work on that. Yeah. But the wandering dogs, you know, they'll hit at any given time. You just have no idea that they're even in the area, and then your whole flock's gone. Yeah, oh, yeah. But as far as other predators, typically we see them seasonally. It seems like in the fall, right before the winter starts to get harsh, the predators are out looking for an easy meal to get fattened up on, and then after after winter, when you're starting on spring, but things haven't started to really green up yet, then we see another predator push uh, where they're trying to get fattened up after they've been living lean all winter long. Mm-hmm. Yep. That seems to be our our times that yeah. we notice them. That you you kind of learn that seasonal rhythm of your place after mm-hmm. you've been here for a while, and. I do want to say this, you know, I've made a comment about the neighbors can come over and drop the door on the chickens and they're shut in. I can't emphasize enough to people how important it is to build yourself a little community. Mm, yeah. Build, build yourself some people that you can rely on if you need to. And you don't think about the incidentals that happen in your life so many times. When my husband had his stroke, we got one of these lovely snowstorms that nobody had expected out of the blue. And I was mm-hmm. working up in Des Moines at the time. So I was about 45 miles away from our farm. And he was up in the hospital up there. And so the snow starts coming down and it just doesn't stop. Well, I wasn't driving the right vehicle for getting around in a heavy snow. So I just said, well, I better get back home 
because the animals are out. We hadn't expected this much snow, so I didn't leave them in the run. You know, I needed to be there to take care of them. I got about a quarter mile away from our house, and my car got stuck in a snowdrift. And I managed to slog up to the house and go out and take care of all the animals and everything. And then I promptly got sick. Well, I had ended up getting some sort of stomach bug going up to the hospital, I'm sure. But I was down for a good week because I just couldn't get up. I couldn't stop being sick. Well, I called one of our neighbors, well, a couple of our neighbors, and I said, listen, I'm sick. The animals are going to need care, and my car's stuck down at the bottom of the road. Uh, I'm going to go back out there and put the keys in it, and you guys come get it for me if you can, <laughs> and so that the snowplow driver can come up the road. And I say, if you could just open the door, I'll leave it unlocked, and you can holler and make sure I'm not dead yet. <laughs> no. And But for a good week, while nobody could get to me, my neighbors came over and fed and watered the animals. Yeah. And hollered in the door at me to make sure I was okay because there wasn't another person. And if I hadn't had that community already established, it would have been incredibly difficult to manage that. I don't know that I would have been able to. Oh yeah, that's so. That's such a good point, and and I I agree with you 100. percent You you just you have to have it. It takes community. Everybody thinks that self sufficiency is about doing it alone, or so many people think that, and it's not. Self sufficiency. One of it's being able to provide for yourself, but using whatever means you have to provide for yourself. Well, one of those means is community, and and you know having people around you who can help you and and help provide for you in in times when you need them. And uh, that's that's a good point. You need you need people. You need a community, absolutely. Yeah, you just don't realize all the little things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I'd like for people to think about if you're moving from an urban environment, if you've never been outside of an urban environment, the difference in emergency services that you're going to experience out in a rural setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've had, when, when Shannon had a stroke, we ended up going to the local community hospital. And we didn't really consider that it wasn't going to be adequate for what we can would consider basic care, I guess, for a heart condition or something like that. And they had to fly him to Des Moines hmm. because they weren't set up for that sort of thing. So it, it did delay his treatment and we had a, a neighbor that passed away from a heart attack it was a sudden heart attack but by the time they got here it was a good 30 minutes after the event mm, yeah and i know i another one of my stuck on stupid moments and i think i've talked about this on facebook was i was letting a teenage boy drive mm-hmm. a tractor around here and he couldn't get it into first gear and so i stepped up and i told him now keep your foot on the brake and keep it on the clutch because i'm just set up step up and try to help you get it into first well that wasn't a good plan um he actually he got startled i think when i walked up there to help him and he moves his feet to get out of my way while i was helping him get it Mm. into first gear and the tractor rolled up my side oh wow and 
when we uh, called for 911 to come out, well, they have a volunteer emergency services and a volunteer fire department, and the sheriff maintains the whole county. It took them about 45 minutes to get out here and with the ambulance. And I was fortunate that it wasn't more traumatic than it was. I got off with a broken collarbone and a broken shoulder blade, and mm. it bruised up my leg pretty bad. But had it not been like that, if it had been more life-threatening, yeah. it would have taken a while for somebody to get out here. And it's not something that you really consider when you work in an urban when you live in an urban environment because emts you're usually there fairly quickly yeah minutes away yeah but it is a little bit longer uh fire services out here in order to get the fire department together they sound the the sirens up in town and it calls all firefighters together well that's a 15 minute process really Mm -hmm. and then Anywhere that they've got to get to in the county could take them another 30, 45 minutes to get out there. So you kind of have to have an idea of what you might do in an emergency if help is not going to be there within that 15-minute yep. time window that you're used to. So so what kind of changes or, or uh, preparations have, or do you feel like it's necessary or that you've made for situations like that? Well, I've got first aid training, and I'm hoping to mm-hmm. get first aid training for the rest of my family to make sure that they're more aware of, of what to do in an emergency. Yeah. I was fortunate, like with my tractor accident, I was conscious. So I could say, well, we need to put compression on these cuts because mm-hmm. it's bleeding and, and that sort of thing. I was able to kind of do my own triage. But they need to know exactly how to, to deal with that situation and have your first aid supplies on mm-hmm. hand yeah and have fire extinguishers and if we've burned our fields before in small portions but when we go out and do that we make sure that we let neighbors know and we're watching for wind conditions and mm-hmm. we're trying to set things up where we've got water available to us and and we've got a plan for where are we going to go if the wind changes or yeah. You know, how are we going to deal with that? You have to set up all your preps in advance. Right. And hope that they're adequate because accidents happen. Yeah, it's great it's, it's, it's great to, to be able to deal with an emergency, but uh, preventing one's a much better idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you just have to kind of think it through a little bit further. Like, I may want to do this burning today, but I don't have anybody to help me. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good plan. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes and, and, you have to do that. And if there's a downside to, to, to most homesteaders I know is that we're usually a pretty pig-headed bunch, and we like to try to just do whatever we can, even if we know it's not the best situation. And, yeah, that's good advice, yeah. though, because we, we should think about those things because in, in the wrong situation, it could, it could well, it could possibly cost you your life, and it could for sure hurt you. Yeah, yeah, it could. You know, it, that reminded me, though, something else that I was going to mention. When you move to the country, Angie's List isn't always available for you. I, I go through this with my family that lives down in the Kansas City area all the time. Because, like, if I need to have electrical work done on our house, they said, well, why don't you just look it up on Angie's List and get somebody out there? Well, you see, there's two electricians in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's, that's it. They're the only people that I know that are actually licensed to be electricians. And if Fred and Joe are busy, <laughs> then you're not getting it done. Right. You know, it's just not happening. Because nobody wants to drive an hour to get out to your place. Mm -hmm. And and that's something else to consider. Uh, we always had uh, an older home. So I learned a lot of home repairs. Mm -hmm. So I can do quite a few things. I can, you know, do the faucets, the drywall, the framing, and, and that sort of thing. But there are some things that I'm just not willing to do. Like electrical work. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm not willing to risk that. So you have to be aware that if you're buying an old farmhouse with the idea that you're going to have somebody come out and do that siding or to add a room addition or, well, you know, it's, it's kind of got some attic problems and, and we're going to do some work up there. We're just going to hire a contractor to come up there. If you've got that in mind before you put in the offer on the house, you might want to check what your contractor options are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's something that we hadn't really considered being as big a problem as it is. Yeah, that's that's good advice. That's something you may not think about before you, yeah. before you put yourself in that situation, for sure. Yeah. Now, I mean, like, I've had to learn how to clean the filters on my septic system, which is just ducky. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's just my favoriteest thing in the world to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got to do it twice a year, and it's like, mmm, lovely. <laughs> yep. I understand that. But, you know, I was fortunate that one of the guys in our area that does the septic system work was willing to come out free of charge because that's what country people do half the time. Or, or maybe he's got to train some rabbits. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he, but he came out here and showed me what to do with the septic system because mm -hmm. I've never had one. You know, I lived on sewers in the city. You didn't have to go out there and clean your sewer drain, you know. You just, that was the city people did that. Right, yeah. So I had to learn how to do that. And buying propane on contract was another thing that we had to learn about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you know that you've got a propane tank out here and that somebody's got to come out and fill it, well, finding out who your contract provider is in your area might be a question to ask. And if there's competition that you might be able to get into mm -hmm. and and. When we first bought our propane, it was a matter of guessing, how much do you need exactly? Now, it's a 500-gallon tank. <laughs> Are we going to fill it twice? What? What? You know? Yeah. Kind of depends on how hard and the winter is, right? <laughs> exactly. You know? And trying to learn how to estimate that and, and figure out what you're going to need. You know, that was yeah. another adventure. Yeah. Well, Lana, for a city girl, it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of figuring out that country life. Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it does sound I like, hope that sound I like you're doing... off, I hope that I headed off some headaches and heartaches for somebody else. Oh, there. yeah. Sounds, so. like you, sounds like you're giving some great advice for sure. And I'm curious, is there anything you change, that you're planning on maybe changing on your homestead or doing different or adding to your homestead in the future years? Or are you pretty satisfied with well, where you're at? 
right now we're working on about three things. We're trying to, one of the things we didn't think about when we bought this place is I love the rolling hills because it reminds me of the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. But those rolling hills are also erosion tracks. Oh, yeah. And our house is up on a hill, but our outbuildings are down a little bit on the hill, which we didn't think about at the time. Mm-hmm. Because it was only maybe uh, the neighbor's field is only maybe about five feet higher than our outbuildings and about a football's field away, you know, for that elevation to go up, it'd be about a football field length. Mm-hmm. But it's causing the water to run into our outbuildings, and it makes them muddy holes. Oh, wow. So we're going to try to do things to help control that erosion and help the water divert better, mm-hmm. uh, which one of our neighbors has a ditch witch, and he's had said that he'd come over and help me lay tile, mm-hmm. which is going to be yet another interesting adventure, trying yeah. to learn how to lay the tile and get it to divert the water correctly. Yeah, yeah. So once we do that, we're hoping to get better use out of our outbuilding. Uh, we've got a bunch of old cedar trees that were encouraged for planting at the time that this farm was built in order to be snow breaks. Uh-huh. you know, and windbreaks. Well, they're now very old cedar trees, and cedars are very brittle. Yep. So we're in the process of taking down any leaners and getting them stacked up and backed, and hopefully one of these days I'll get an Alaskan sawmill so we can start sawing <laughs> our own lumber. Are you replacing but, any you know, of those trees to keep the windbreak there? We, we will be, but mm-hmm. it's a matter of we've got to get these out of the way first, and mm-hmm. and. Some of them are 24 to 30 inches in diameter. Yeah. So they're huge. But the plus side is they were planted so closely together that we're using them as fence posts with roots. Mm, Yeah. So where we're repairing our fences, we're using those as our new fence posts. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of moving along that way. And you know how it is when you've got a homestead, when you've got a little farm, your plants always look easier on paper. Then they do (laughs) when you get out there and start doing them. But that's kind of our next year's plan is to start working on the water control, getting erosion controls Uh in place, and getting the fences repaired. Yeah. So it's always something. I didn't even ask you. you, Are you doing some gardening, too? Do you have a vegetable garden? Yeah, we are. We've got lots and lots of rabbit manure. Last year, our tomato vines were about seven feet tall. Okay. So they they do well. Uh, We're still trying to find the place that we really like the best for our garden. We just haven't found the sweet spot yet. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of what we're dealing with. And we've got some grapevines that we need to to transplant to some new areas. And Mm -hmm. we're hoping to get some uh, fruit trees. Yeah. And nut trees this next year. Hopefully, get them planted. So you know, we're we're rolling right along. Getting yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Lots of plans and things are things are happening for you. Sounds like you're definitely figuring out that country life for sure. And well, building, you know what building happens. a dream homestead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know what happens? So man plans, God laughs. So <laughs> yeah, we're we're given. Got a good comedy act yeah. out here. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you know you can write like you said a minute ago. You can write it on a piece of paper, but it always doesn't always work out when you get out there because yeah. you don't work up much of a sweat yeah. putting it on paper. But once you get out there and start That's doing right. it, it's like whoa. 
yeah. <laughs> this is this is real work here. So yeah, yeah. Well, you've given a lot of advice already to you know for folks looking to get into this lifestyle. But do you, do you have any like last minute advice for uh, aspiring or or beginner homesteaders? Just just try to reach out, do your research. Mm-hmm. I always try to get three good reliable sources of information mm-hmm. and build your community to help you do the things that need to get done mm-hmm. to be that support for you to help you learn so it's it's a lot to learn but you can do it yeah. you know a little bit at a time and it's easy to dive into the deep end real quick oh, yeah. and not realize <laughs> that you've dived into the deep end yeah yeah just be like patient say, yeah. and forgiving Take take one or two things on at a time, kind of kind of yeah. figure them out, and then move to the next thing. And yeah, don't take don't take on too much too quick. But like I always say that, but everybody I talk to does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I also tell people learn to forgive yourself those mistakes. Mm, you feel bad yeah. when when you lose an animal and you feel like it was your fault, mm-hmm. but you've learned something. Yeah. And you do the best you can with what you got. And and you're not perfect. Yep. And at least you learn and you can take that on to the next step and the next step. And and you'll get better. Mm -hmm. And you'll start to feel like you really have a grip on things. So. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Uh, well, I will uh, I will let you go, but I'll tell folks that uh, if they want to ask you anything or get to know you a little bit better, you're always in our Homestead Front Porch Facebook group in there chatting it up, and uh, they could uh, find you in there. Uh, you've been real uh, generous with giving advice and, and being involved in that group, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the group very much. They're a nice group of people. They are. They're a great, great group. And uh, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been really good having you on here. Well, thank you very much. Just holler if you need something. <laughs> Will do. Thanks, Lana. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Wow, what a great interview. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Lana had so much to say to us as homesteaders, and those especially who are seeking to homestead in the country. Uh, and I just got so much out of what she said. And I think the thing that I benefited the most from is just the things she had to say about community, how important it is to to build up a community of friends uh, that can help you and, and, and be a mentor to you when you need it. And uh, <laughs> You know, I've always been a fan of the show Little House on the Prairie. I don't know if some of you are or not, but I grew up watching that show. And it's funny because when she was talking about uh, when she was sick and her neighbor was coming over and helping her, there was this episode of the Little House on the Prairie called A Harvest of Friends. And it was my favorite episode. And I think it's the number two or three episode in the whole series of all the Little House uh, shows. And, um, I read some of the books, but I was, I'm a big TV watcher back in the day. I really loved to watch TV. And, uh, I remember watching that episode and all my life, I've never forgotten that episode. And it's the episode where, uh, uh, Laura Ingalls dad falls out of a tree, getting a kite and breaks his ribs. Well, he had this real important job to do, uh, or he was going to lose some of their equipment for, um, I think it was their oxen to, to pull their plow. And, um, it was going to be a big deal, you know, and, and it could very well cost them everything they had there. And, uh, he tries to finish the job and, and he can't do it because of his broken ribs. He's just, he's fallen down. He's in so much pain and all the townspeople gather in and do the job for him and finish that job that he can't do to save his farm, to save their, their livelihood. And at the very end of that show, Laura Ingalls comes on and said, Paul said he was glad that they had come to live on the banks of Plum Creek. 
for they had harvested a crop he didn't know he had planted. A harvest of friends. And that is just always just stuck with me. And I always, it's, I've always remembered how important it is. No matter what you're doing, the most important crop you can plant is, is a crop of friends and doing things for people and, and developing those friendships and, and, and nurturing that field because that, that one can pay dividends that the others are important, but there's none more important than that one. And, and when she was just talking about that, it really reminded me, uh, that that needs to be a focus we all have. You know, it's great to go out there and plant a garden. It's great to go out there and take care of our animals. But if we don't have friends that can help us in a time of need, if we don't have people that we can try to help in a time of need, then a lot of that, in some ways, I won't I won't go as far to say it's meaningless, but it definitely takes a lot of the joy out of it for sure. So build community, folks. Be part of people's lives. You don't know when you're going to need that, and those people need you as well. And as self-sufficient people, we don't need to be hermits and lone loners in this we need to be working together to accomplish a greater goal in the end. So that just reminded me of that, and I wanted to I wanted to say that because I just I just had flashbacks of that episode as she was talking about that. Um, oh yeah, I told you I was going to tell you a little bit about something going on. I mentioned months ago that I opened up a Patreon account, and that's for people who want to support the Modern Homesteading podcast. I've never really promoted that much. I think I've mentioned it maybe once or twice on the podcast. But I want to do more with that. And I thought, you know, folks that are willing to support this podcast, I want to do something for them. Well, I also mentioned that I'm doing weekly, not weekly. I scratched that. They're not weekly videos. There's probably going to be two to four of them a month. Uh, training videos I'm doing, live videos that I'm actually going to have a live event at my website. You can come be a part of that. Don't cost anything or anything like that. We'll have some dialogue. You can get in a chat room and talk with me. I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast already. And it's really good. I've really enjoyed doing those, and I want to do a lot more of them. Uh, and I thought something I could do is is basically leave those up at the website for about a week so you can watch a replay of it. And then I'm going to move those to the Patreon account. And I got some different reward levels for those who want to support the um, the podcast. Uh, there, you know, there's a $3 level, which will give you access to those videos. There's a $5 level that will actually give you the access to those videos forever. And also, um, you'll be in a monthly, you'll be entered into a monthly, uh, drawing, uh, for a contest I'll be having where I'll be doing a giveaway. I'll be giving something away, homesteading related, a book, or maybe a seed pack or something like that. I'm sure as the more, the more that community grows, the greater value those gifts will be, of course, because it'll be, you know, more affordable. Um, but I definitely want to give something back there. And then I have a $10 level and on the $10 level, you'll get the other, you'll be the, have the other two rewards as well. But you'll also uh, receive every other month, I will send out a DVD with the most recent um, training videos on that DVD. Because somebody brought it to my attention that some people who live in rural areas don't have the bandwidth to be able to download or even watch a lot of videos. So it might be a good option for them to have the those videos on DVD. And and we just did one on, I just did one on uh, building a fodder system to feed your small livestock. One before that was on raising meat rabbits. And I just plan on probably doing one on, on raising quail. And I mean, there's just going to be a whole bunch of things I'm going to do. I, I already have a list made up that I want to do on those things. So check those out. Go to uh, patreon.com forward slash modern homesteading podcast. 
Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash Modern Homesteading Podcast for more information about that. And uh, hope that some of you can can be a part of that. I thank you all for joining me on the podcast this week. And uh, until next week, happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.